Feed us, bro. Thank you very much. Um, my name is Kenny. Uh, for all of, the, all of you guys who don't know me, uh, I have a lovely wife. Uh, she's the one that actually, she kind of like goes through my jokes. So as, as, as I'm preparing my sermon, I'm like, let me, let me, should I crack this joke? And so if there are any jokes that I've made it through and you guys don't laugh, uh, it's my wife. Right, you can blame her. But uh, yeah, going, going back to what One said, uh, his answer to your question of the day, uh, it's, it's very funny. One has had the opportunity to meet these uh, great men of God. Uh, I think a couple of weeks back, he spoke about how uh, he met, he met uh, Chandler. So I've been, I've been listening to Chandler since 2007. Like I... I was just drawn by his uh, charisma, by the way he handles the word. And, you know, on is just like, yeah, I, I just met the guy, you know. And so the worst one is Brian Loretz. Like, Brian Loretz is a beast, right? So I discovered him some, some few years back, started listening to him. I was just like, man, I would love to meet this guy one day. And so from time to time, Oni always says to me, uh, I've got his contacts. Do you want me to give you his contacts? You know? and so so our, our exchange pretty much ends with, I'll get the contacts, I'll just frame them, print them, frame them, put them on the fridge, because that's as far as I'm going with Brian Lorenz. But the funniest story is where on, on Facebook, I decided to follow him, right? And a couple of weeks, months later, uh, I get a, a, Facebook, a Facebook message, and it's Brian Lorenz, and he says, uh, hey champ, how are you doing, right? So, so, so I'm very, very excited. I even, I even screenshot the message because I'm like, <laughs> Brian Loretz is messaging me personally. So then after I respond, I'm like, man, the work that you're doing is awesome, man. Keep doing you, man. This is great. You know, you're such an encouragement, whatever, whatever. So I, then I go back to the, to the Facebook page, and I realize that this page hasn't been updated in quite a while, and most of the information there, it's kind of like, it's very weird, and then I kind of discover that I think this is like a fake Brian Loretz page, so, so yeah, but anyways, uh, that, that was my experience with Brian Loretz, I'm still, hopefully you get him to come preach here at Rooted, man, and we get to meet him, so... Yeah, so I have a word. Um, it's, it's quite fitting that we're going into lamentations, we're going into a season where uh, Israel is, uh, is in exile and their response uh, to that season. And so my message is from Nehemiah. And it's, uh, with the Old Testament, it's, 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 very, it's very hard to preach from the Old Testament. I think um, a lot of people, you'll ask them if, we're talking about Nehemiah, it's building the wall. That's probably the only thing that they'll come up with. And so before we dive into Nehemiah, uh, and perhaps this will build on to next week, as always, we start in Lamentations, let's, let's perhaps build a, build a picture of the Old Testament. Let's, let's start from popular characters. Let's start from the United Kingdom, right? right? Um, this is uh, from Saul to to David, to, to King Solomon, right? Uh, figures that we're all aware of. And then um, this, is, this is where everything's great. This is, this is Nirvana. This is the kingdom is functioning. You've got, you've got a monarchy. Everything's working perfectly. And then right, right at the end with, with Solomon, Solomon's son, um, 
people reject him. And so these are the 12 tribes, and there's a lot of infighting. And then there's a split, right? There's a split. You have uh, 10 tribes going in one direction. You have two tribes going in one direction, right? Uh, Judah, uh, Benjamin going in the separate direction. And then you have the other 10 tribes uh, called Northern Kingdoms. Um, and essentially, there's a lot of strife. There's a lot of war. But throughout that whole process, various kings, kings come through um, in and out, in and out. There is no stability. And so what eventually happens is God uses uh, these different nations, the enemies of Israel, to, to essentially judge them. And he takes, uh, takes them into exile. So we have the Assyrians uh, taking, the, taking on the ten kingdoms. They take them into exile. And then you have Babylon, which takes the the other kingdom, which is Judah and, and Benjamin. And so how we end up in Nehemiah is that there have been a couple of years, about 70 plus years or so, uh, this is the season where uh, God has entrusted a few people in terms of doing the process of restoration, right? And so uh, one, of this pe- one of those people is Ezra and the other one is Nehemiah. And so where we're going to start uh, this morning is we're going to start in Nehemiah 2. And so to get an idea of how we get to chapter 2, in chapter 1, essentially Nehemiah is getting word of this is what's happening in Jerusalem, right? Uh, this is, it's lying in ruins. Uh, the first couple of exiles that were supposed to go back, things are not going well, right? Um, the rebuilding of the temple, it's been halted several times, Right? Uh, a number of Persian kings, uh, Cyrus, Darius, um, have issued a decree saying that you guys can go back, but you know there, there, there are things, there are powers at play there, and they're preventing this from happening. And so, um, as we enter chapter chapter two, Nehemiah is essentially he's heard of this. He's prayed to God, saying that, um, essentially also lamenting, saying that. Uh, you know, how I'm feeling right now is not great about what's happening back in Jerusalem uh, and also confessing the sin of his people, right? And so we enter into chapter 2. And so please take out your Bibles, uh, Nehemiah 2, uh, verse 1 to 8. And so uh, let's read God's word. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place where my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, then you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let the letters be sent, let let the letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked. 
for the good hand of God has pardoned me. So, I think one of the one of the things about Nehemiah is, so we're just gonna go through the narrative. We're just gonna understand the context of what's going on. And chapter one ends with uh, with the statement where Nehemiah says, um, "I was a cupbearer to the king." Right. So, verse one and verse two, we find that Nehemiah is serving wine to the king. And so, in our current context, the whole idea and concept of a cupbearer. So, if I, as soon as I said cupbearer, you guys should have been like, "Yo, wow, cupbearer!" But it does it doesn't resonate with us, right? We don't understand what that is, right? And so, and I even love the way if if you read chapter one, how it ends. Literally, if you're reading in your Bible right now, the end just says, "And I was a cupbearer to the king." Drops the mic. <laughs> Right. So, so why is this important, right? Uh, a cupbearer to the king uh, wasn't just a guy that serves wine, right? So he essentially, he's the last line of defense, right? He checks both quality and if there's any poison in the wine before he hands it to the king, Right? And so he's the guy that's allowed to say, if this thing is not quality, if it's not from uh, the vineyards of Western Cape, he can turn it back, right? Uh, he can't turn it back if it's poison, obviously. But apart, apart from that, um, as a, as a, as a, as a cupbearer, um, you, you, you're in a very high office, right? You, you have a very high position. You're essentially even the advisor to the king. You've got the king's trust. The king trusts you. He's essentially trusting you with his life. And so what's happening here is that this is not just, this is not just anybody. Uh, in the current context, this is, this is a cupbearer to, to the king of the known world, right? This is not just anybody. In this current context, this would be the executive assistant to Jacob Zuma. And that is quite... <laughs> That is quite a high position. That is a very high position. And so, so Nehemiah, doing his duties uh, as a good cupbearer, giving wine to the king, um, conversation starts. Uh, the king says, why is your face so sad? And I love the part where he's saying, seeing as you're not sick, he's saying, Nehemiah, you're not, I'm establishing that you're not going to take sick leave. <laughs> so that's already established. So tell me, so tell me what's wrong. <laughs> right. So as we... As we shift, we also need to understand that uh, the last part where Nehemiah says, then I was very much afraid, is that this is, this is a Persian king. This is, this, is, this is an instrument that God uses for the judgment of God's people. This is, this is the oppressor. So Nehemiah is essentially a last line of defense to the people, uh, to a king that is acting as an oppressor to his people. Right, and, and this this is astounding, and so he 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 needs to be afraid, right? Because it could end very badly for him. Even as a trusted guy, it could end very badly for him. And so, as we shift to the next um, to the next verse, um, Nehemiah very diplomatically his response is: I said to the king, "Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's grave, lies in ruins and it, its gates have been destroyed by fire?" and 
And, and it's, it's very difficult, especially the part where he says, let the king live forever. And, you know, it's, we, could, we, we could take different views on this, right? Uh, Nehemiah is not essentially crossing, going across and saying, you know what, uh, I'm not part of Israel, I'm part of the Persian kingdom, and I want to see him rule forever. But I, I, I see this as, as stewardship, right? Um, Nehemiah probably understands the fact that from Daniel, God appoints rulers. He sets up rulers, and he will depose them. So at the end of the day, when Nehemiah is serving the king, he's serving uh, from a position of, I want to be obedient to God. I want to be obedient to the core of where I am right now. And therefore, if God puts this king here, I will be obedient to my core. And especially when when we're going into lamentations and thinking about uh, Jeremiah, where God says, you know what? Um... Do not, do not live as if tomorrow you'll be leaving, you'll be leaving uh, exile. But plant your roots, right? Uh, plant your roots. Be good stewards of where you are right now. Right? If you're working, work it as if you're working it for God. And so with Nehemiah here, he understands that, you know what? I'm here. I'm loyal to the king because I'm being obedient to the greater king. Right? And so Nehemiah then says... Uh, why should I not be sad? And, and this is true. And he's saying, you know what? Something is happening uh, at home for me, right? And, you know, he's, he's phrasing it in such a way that he's not going to go back to Jerusalem and bring back an army to depose the king. But he's saying, right, the father heart of God within me, um, it compels me to feel for my people, right? So then we shift to uh, verse 4 and 5 where Essentially, the king asked Nehemiah, what are you requesting? Um, and so Nehemiah, the wise man that he is, decides, let me, let me first pray about this. And he says, here's my request. If it pleases the king and if the servant has found favor in your sight, then send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And then when we shift to verse 6, um, uh, the king asks a pertinent question. How long will you be gone and when will you return? And then, so it pleased the king to send me when I'd given him time. And uh, that's, always, that's always struck me because essentially Nehemiah is, is taking a leave of absence, right? He's still going to come back. He's still going to come back to exile, to where he's serving. He's still going to be obedient to his call as a cupbearer to the king, right? And that's very difficult for us because... We've been sold the idea of that uh, the way that freedom looks is that uh, everything is peaceful and I live in a utopia. But God calls us to be sojourners in this world. He says that at the end of the day, in as much as we're here now, this is, this is not our home. But we live here, we serve here, we're good stewards of our time here. Right? And so at the end of the day, this is, this is striking. Nehemiah is going to go back, rebuild the wall, uh, get the temple going, and go back to exile, right? And <laughs> I love the part that says, and the queen sitting beside him, is just, just putting that in, right? Because I think Nehemiah understands that uh, King Artaxerxes, late in the night when there's no cupbearer, it's just the two of them, he needs to answer to 
Mrs. Mrs. Artaxerxes, when she when she sees when she sees Nehemiah hashtag rebuilding the wall, she's like, we we didn't discuss this, you know. You know, he doesn't want him to deal with the question of, so, Artaxerxes, I find it funny how, you know. So, so yeah, so he just puts that in there just in case. So then, uh, verse 7 to 8, essentially, it's uh, Nehemiah giving a list of the things that he needs. And um, Nehemiah is very wise because what, what has actually happened here is that uh, this, this project has been going on for a long time, right? We, we're talking about a lot of years, right, in the tens where they've been trying to rebuild the temple and the people that are actually standing in the way. And it's actually gone through different kings. I mentioned bef- be before uh, that they sa- Cyrus, Darius, Artaxerxes. And so there's been a lot of things at play here. And so when you go through this, this list, what we see is that uh, Nehemiah understands the fact that, you know what, um, God can control the hearts of kings. But we also got to do this practically. He says, you know what? Um, when you send me there, uh, give me a letter to Asaph, a keeper of the forest, uh, that he might give me timber, uh, beams for the gates, etc., etc." And he goes through this practical list of, these are some of the things that I actually need. And so God is both at work supernaturally in, in controlling the, kings of, uh, the, uh, the hearts of kings, but also in, 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 in the things that seem very mundane, in the practical things where it's, these are a list of the things that I will need to actually effect this. Because if you go through Ezra and you actually read on through Nehemiah, you will see that uh, there were a lot of people that were stopping this project from happening, right? And so as we, as we, shift, as we shift forward, why, why go through Nehemiah? Why, what is the point? Why go through this narrative? And honestly speaking, when I, when I read this the very first time, one of the first things that, that actually stuck out was like, this is, this is me. This is, this is us, right? So Nehemiah, is not, he's, not, he's not a prophet. Um, he doesn't see, to me, Nehemiah is the typical um, eight to five guy, right? He's working for the state, and it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't feel it doesn't feel special but i love the fact that in this context um when we mirror our lives to nehemiah's lives it's not it's not fundamentally different right it's not fundamentally different and nehemiah has the privilege of sitting in this very high position um he's got the ear of the king the king of the known world and how he uses that, he uses it powerfully. He doesn't use it to secure the job of cupbearer for the next 20 years. But instead, he uses it for the sake of God's kingdom. Right? So Nehemiah uses it in such a way that in his heart, God is, God is tugging at him. He's saying that there, there's stuff happening at home. Right? Jerusalem is in ruins. And, and I, I think for a lot of us, that's where we are, Right? Uh, yeah, we have our eight to five job, and you know we we could where at any point in time some of us could be sitting next to policymakers in the country, right? Some of us could be sitting with titans of industries, yeah, right. Some of us could be sitting with the people that hold a lot of power, and and that is privilege, right? That is privilege, and when when we look at our stance in those in those positions, right? Are we, are we taking those positions in such a way that 
if I'm sitting across the COO of Nike, I'm trying to figure out how I can get free shoes or discounts, <laughs> right? Or am I challenging, challenging him or her to essentially saying, you know what, how about we go on a, on a challenge of trying to put shoes on this many kids, right? If we're sitting with policymakers, people that, that are driving um, education, finance, whatever in South Africa, am I trying to secure the bag for my family? Am I trying to make sure that at the end of the day I can get a higher position? That I can take my kids to better schools, I can get a better car. Think about all of these things, they're not bad things, but at the end of the day I'm, f- I'm thoroughly convinced that God wants more from us, more than that. God wants more than that. God cares for his city. And so with, with Nehemiah, he has the ear of the king, right? He puts it on the line. This could have ended very, very badly for him, right? And I, I love the fact that even, even in the text, when he speaks, it says that I was very much afraid, right? It's, it's a risk sometimes. Right, it's a risk sometimes sitting across a CEO, and you know sometimes you just wanna you just wanna say you know what, uh, if I can just network really well, uh, I can just boost my career up here or or whatever. But maybe in that moment, it's you know what if I can challenge the CEO to take off a weekend, go inspire some kids that have no hope, you know, instead of putting my desires, putting my little kingdom. Um, at the forefront. So we don't want to reach the end of life where in the end we realize that the only walls that we've rebuilt are only in our lives, guys. Sure. I believe that the gospel is more, it's more than that. It's more than that. And so, and so for us, the fact, the fact of the matter is, as, as South Africans, we, we, we live in a time, in a time and place where it's out of sight, out of mind, right? When I think about where I live, um, pretty much everyone else is probably at the same level as me. Uh, they drive a car. Uh, no one's walking to work. No one's walking anywhere. Uh, probably more than one car per household. And, um, and that, it hurts me a lot when I think about the story where within our city group, we, it's taken us almost more than a year to get something going with um, with people that don't have anything, we we we, rea- we all of us realize that there's a, there's a desire, there's a need in the country, right? Orphans and widows, the people that need help, right? Uh, child-led homes, right? We realize this. It's, it's it's ridiculous, and I feel a lot of shame saying this up here. But since last year, we still haven't shifted, right? And part of the reason why we haven't shifted, we haven't really done anything. We keep asking questions. We keep saying, you know what? How about this? No, maybe they won't like it. Let's do this. Let's do it this way. Um, we keep constructing, deconstructing instead of just doing. And part of it is because out of sight, out of mind. Right? Out of sight, out of mind. Those people are far. Right? They might as well be on a face- Facebook page, share this, and a donation will be made. Right? So at the end of the day, when I reflect on that, it's, it's just the fact that because I'm not, I'm not directly affected by these people's lives, 
I can delay this for as long as possible. The desire is there, right? The desire is there to help. But I'm comfortable, guys. I'm comfortable. I have a job. We can, we can make ends meet, um, pay our bills. We can do whatever. But you know what? For as long as the need is not close to us, for as long as the need is very far from us, we, we can delay, delay it for as long as possible. And the example with Nehemiah is that out of sight of our mind, Jerusalem is far from him. Right? Nehemiah could have just, he could have honestly just said, you know what, I'm comfortable where I am. I've got a top job. Um, I could just continue on in this life forever. I could build an empire. Maybe my son will be the, the next cup bearer. And we sort it for the rest of life. But because of the father heart of God, God's compassion within him, God's compassion for the people without voices. Nehemiah answers the call and he puts it on the line. Nehemiah, he's got the ear of the king. Instead of saying, you know what, I want a raise. He says, I have to go to my people. I have to go rebuild walls. I have to be part of a restoration process that involves my God. Is that our voice, guys? Is that our voice? And so... And so Nehemiah gives us the example of the stewardship of privilege, what to do when you have the ear of the king. But if we're talking about the stewardship of privilege, we cannot really talk about it without talking about Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus Christ is the ultimate example. This is, this is what Philippians 2 verse 4 to 7 has to say about him. Uh, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of, me- of men. <laughs> this is absurd. This is absurd. This is... I, I've, I've never fully understood this whole idea of um, God coming to be like us, right? So Jesus Christ, um, preeminent, creation is through him. He's the word of God. He's right, he's right close to the Father, and he decides, you know what? Um, let me submit myself to the Father's will. Let me go down. Let me be one of the creation. Let me, let me be governed by the rules I created, Right? That's, 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 that's insane. Right? That, that is, to me, wrapping my mind around that, the, the God man, it doesn't make sense. But yet, this is the example that Jesus Christ sets for us. That his privilege is sitting next to the Father for eternity, but for a season, for a time, he comes to be, to live a lowly life. Right? Born to two nobodies, right? He dies a death which the worst possible death, right? And let let let's let's see how in that process of living this life how he responds as he he has the ear of the Father. John seventeen uh, six to twenty six. This is uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer 
We're not, we're not going to go through all of it. Uh, I'm just going to go through certain points. Please read it. It is amazing. This is where Jesus essentially is crying out to the Father. He's praying. He's praying for himself. He's praying for believers. He's praying for people that will believe. But some important parts. Uh, verse 11, uh, Jesus also the Father. Keep believers in the, in the Father's name. Verse 15, uh, to keep believers from the evil one. Verse 17, to sanctify believers in the truth. Uh, verse 21, to make believers one. And then the next one, John 14, verse 16. Uh, I will ask of the Father and will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. And then the last one, Luke 23, 32 to 35. Um, this is at the crucifixion. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the cast lots divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the ruler, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. That is insane. This is insane. Jesus Christ has he's got the ear of the Father. Right? Um, the one who rules, the one who defines everything. And yet his his response isn't so much uh, to bring wrath. His response isn't Father, take your business. But his response is Father, forgive them. Right? And this is this is this is this is great hope for us because, especially if you're sitting here and, and you're wrestling, you're saying, you know what, I'm not quite sure about this Jesus Christ. I'm not quite sure about this Christianity thing. Uh, he has a savior who's unlike any other savior in this world, and there will never be like there will never be a savior like him. Right? He stands. He stands on his own. And what he does is go, he goes on ahead of us. He does the job. And we know that ultimately, at the end of the day, whatever we're going through, he sits at the right, of, right hand of the Father. He petitions for us. He prays for us. But he's not sending, he's not sending wrath upon us. If anything, if, there's, if he's sending discipline, it's because he loves us. Right? And so Jesus sits as, he, he sits as an example for us. But... Let's let's backtrack to to Nehemiah, right? And you know, some of you might be saying, "I, I get what you're saying, uh, Kenny. I'm, I get that. You know, I've I need to steward my my position, my privilege better for the sake of the kingdom." But you know what? I, I'm a student, or I just started working. There are like twenty levels between me and the CEO. I'm reporting to an intern. <laughs> If you're, if you're reporting to an intern, that's, that's quite bad. <laughs> but but on, a, on a serious note, you know, you say, you know what, I'm, I'm a stay-at-home mom. Um, I'm, I don't get to meet the titans of industry. I don't get to, I don't get to sit across um, presidents, ministers, uh, CEOs, right? Um, there's one thing, is those, there's one thing we missed or I didn't talk about was that with Nehemiah, um, some critical things that he does is he prays to the Father. So 
And we'll go back to Nehemiah 2, uh, Nehemiah 4. He says, so I prayed to the God of heaven um, in verse 8. Uh, and the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. And then right at the end of verse 1, uh, Nehemiah's prayer where he speaks about uh, his petition to the father. And he says, change this man's heart. Right? And for us, it's, it's, it's great um, for some of us that are sitting in positions where we get to sit across influential people. But with Nehemiah, the only reason why he had favor it's because he has, he has the ear of the ultimate king. He has the ear of one who sits at the right hand of the Father. And that's the hope for us, that at the end of the day, in as much as we have all this privilege, right, the, greater, the greatest privilege is we have the ear of the ultimate king. Right? And not just, not just the king, but we call him Father. He's a good father, and he listens. He listens to our prayers. He listens to our cries. But we, here's, here's where it kind of gets very sticky, right? In having the ear of the father, in having the ear of the king of the universe, uh, our prayers usually just about us. Is it just about, Lord, I just, I just need this job, and then my life will be sorted. And jobs are important. I'm sitting here, I'm standing up here, and I know a job is important. All right. Those things are all important. But at the end of the day, I believe that if we, hear, if we have the ear of the king, then God wants us to do more than just to pray for the next day. And God wants to restore our city. And perhaps we might not see this happen in our lifetime, but through enough prayer, God brings more and more people. It was just like I was saying with the, with the story of Nehemiah. This is a whole process, right? Uh, Ezra is part of the process. There were a couple of people that had to be part of this, right? And so for us sitting here, um, have we tapped into the Father heart of God, right? Have we known him enough in his nature, in his attributes, in his desires to know that, you know what, when we step out here, we want to change. We want to change the way Pretoria looks, right? We want to address issues with um, orphans, widows. We want to be a voice to the people that don't have a voice, right? And so, our prayer is just about today. Is just about God. Um, give me a good job where I can save up for my pension and retire? Are we saying that we want to see God work in amazing ways? Right? And so, in, in closing, that's, that's the question. It's a question for me. It's something that I, that I wrestle with as well as a person that works for the state. You know, we, I just want us to go into just a time of prayer. Right? Um, you can pray openly. Uh, you can pray aloud. But just a couple of seconds where we just get to reflect that um, we have an ear of the king. We're using this, are we using this effectively? It's just a matter of what can I get out of this relationship? How can I network to be in a better position?
And so I'm just going to open it up. Uh, if you feel led to pray, man, pray, pray out loud, pray in your heart, you know. But we're going to be praying for orphans and widows. Uh, we're going to be praying for our city, our neighborhoods. Um, we're going to be praying for people without voices, the people that no one that no one gets to hear, right? And then I'll close this off. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Lord, um, receive these prayers. Um, we cry to you, realizing that uh, we have the greatest privilege, and that is to call you Father. And it is to know that whatever petitions are, they through the Holy Spirit, that you are concerned about the well-being of your people. Uh, you, you're concerned about rebuilding walls of dignity. You're concerned about restoring people, Lord. And so hear our prayers, Lord. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us, that you care about the city. Pray for the influences in this room. Pray for those who influence the influences. Thank you that you've called us all wherever we are. Those of us at work, those of us at home, that exactly where we are, you've given us power, you've given us your word, you've equipped us to change things. And Lord, with that, we pray for the city, we pray for this capital city, that it's not an accident or a coincidence that we happen to be here. That you can change things as you did in 94. So, a miracle, we saw the dawn of democracy. Lord, we stand against the belief that democracy is coming to an end. Mm. We thank you that you can save, you save cities, you save people, so mm. you'll use us here and you'll use people that are already appointed. Mm. You, you soften hearts. No one is beyond you. Mm. You care about Zuma. Mm. You care about all the opposition parties. You mm. care about those that are fighting and that, mm. those that don't know you. And Lord, you can change hearts. So mm. we're praying for that. Our hope is not in our ballot, it's not in the cross that we will mark in a few months, but our hope is in you, mm. that whether, whichever party wins, that our trust and our survival is based on you. So mm. Lord, we're praying for those in government today, that we're not waiting for some better outcome, we have you today. Mm. We're praying to your ear that you would change things now. Mm. I mean, Lord, we're praying that you'd give us hope, that mm. we would live as those who have hope
Father, I want to pray for justice mm. that comes from your very hand. Mm. Knowing that that justice is rooted in the gospel, the mm. grace and the love and the mercy mm. that is found in Jesus. Mm. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would send us out. I'm asking that mm. you would send me out to be salt and light to a broken city, a broken nation, a broken continent, and a broken world that is in desperate need of you. That there's so much good here. As I think about the various people, just even in this room, you have gifted them in phenomenal ways that they find themselves in different industries and in different places and different neighborhoods, different communities. Father God, I pray that they would be like Nehemiah, bold enough to pray to you and to ask that you would move, move in a powerful way. So we ask that your spirit to guide us and comfort us, be with us. Even as I think about the great commission, I'm reminded that Jesus, you say that you are with us to the very end. And that alone should give us great comfort. There's so much uncertainty that lies in front of us, but you are with us to the very end. So be with us now. And as we leave this place, be with us. Love and praise you, Jesus. prayers and many more um, the ones in the secret place um, the ones that have not been uttered yet grown within Lord and we offer these to you um, for the sake of your name for the sake of your kingdom Lord Jesus offer these to you and it's through your son Jesus Christ work on the cross that we pray Amen, Amen, Amen